If you remember last week was a challenging one I got to preach, well, this week's another one. I'm sure that I'm being set up, but that's okay. Um, we need to pray first then. Uh, just let's pray. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take the Word of God and burn it into our hearts and minds uh, and bring transformation in our lives uh, through what God has said and is saying. And I pray this morning as I share, you will take the truth of what I share and burn it into our hearts and into our minds and bring transformation in every, every heart and every life that we may know you better, but equally that we may walk your way and be people of the way. Uh, we do bless you. We love you. I say, God, just enable us this morning to explore your word well. Amen. Uh, where's Rajkun? There he is. Samuel Logan Brengo, a Salvation Army guy, uh, and he was a real theologian. And uh, what Raj was reading of was that moment when he was filled with the Holy Spirit and utterly transformed. I, I mean, I read church history. I do encourage you to read church history. Some of these people who, had, same with Wesley, when he said his heart was strangely warmed, the motivation, that which motivated them for ministry, that which motivated them to, to love the unlovely, to care for people, to be involved, and kept them going, was that they were filled and filled and filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that was their default position. We, do, we can do nothing apart from the power of God working in our lives. And Brengel uh, is, is, a, is a guy who I'd heartily recommend reading. It's some great stuff. You blessed me this morning, Raj. Thank you. That's just, I must be getting old. Um, I'm going to read something else as well. I've already heard it this morning, but uh, uh, this ties in very much with my uh, my talk, which is uh, Mark 10, 17 to 31, but this is just Hebrews 13, uh, verses 5 uh, and 6, or just verse 5 even. Keep your life free from love of money. Keep your life free from love of money. This is what God says, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Okay, Mark 10, 1 to 16. Let's see if we can, we can get through this. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do, commit, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and, and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. For many who are first will be last, and the last first. Three points as usual, a question, a challenge, and a promise. Okay, a question, a challenge, and a promise. So a question. Jesus is just about to set off on a journey, and this young man comes running up and says, Jesus, I have a question. And the question, it's a question that sits deep inside every man and woman. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Or to put it another, another way, what must I do to live forever? What must I do to live forever? God made us in his own image and likeness. God is eternal. Until, and until Adam and Eve sinned, there was no death in the world. They would have lived forever too. Now, that's a mystery, but the desire to live forever in a perfect world, world sits deep inside everybody. It's fine when you're young. You think you're going to live forever. Young people, do you think you're going to live forever? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to check. Yeah, you know, and you think, by, you know, medical science will change everything. Well, it won't. You're going to die. Let me bless you. You're going to die, right? That's part of our human condition. And you need to face that now. We need a good doctrine of death. But actually, who wants to live forever? It's in our heart, that question. Do you remember Queen? Who knows, remembers the pop group Queen? Two or three? What a sad bunch. Come on, Queen. I mean, of all the groups I've ever heard, Queen's got to be the, the tops for me, personally. And they, sat, they had a song, Who Wants to Live Forever? Great harmonies, great music. I love it. Sad song, though. Doesn't have much hope. It suggests there's no chance for any of us. We only have this fleeting lifetime, and then we're finished. What a miserable thought. Is this it, then? You can go to a world that's lost and dying and say, this is it, that's all you've got. That's what the atheists tell us. All the people who don't believe in God said, this is it. That's all you get. And yet deep in, deep in every human heart is this question, but I want to live forever. I want to live forever. Why? Because we're made in the image and likeness of God. And however broken and however damaged, we know we're meant to live forever. The Bible says we will. As men and women who've put our trust in Jesus, we have a hope and a future to look forward to. 
The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, sorry, 15, 12 to 20. I'm reading quite a lot of scripture this morning. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he, di if, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Do you see, he repeats himself. He's making a saying, look, I'm telling you this twice. If Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And there's this phrase, if only, in, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most miserable. Anybody miserable? But then he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Christ is alive. He is risen. We are the people who believe utterly Christ is risen. We have a hope and a future that goes beyond the grave. It's eternal. He is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, those who've died. That's just a little aside, but who wants to live forever? That's what really the young man's asking. What do I do? What do I do to inherit eternal life? What do we know about this young man? Well, I would suggest that he was a very diligent, disciplined, competent, and devout Jew. He devoted himself to living faithfully by Jewish law since he was a boy. It's impressive. Lots of discipline on top of things. Didn't have a, a teenage moment when he blew it. No, no, since he was a boy, he learned to live right according to Jewish law. That would require discipline and devotion. He was very rich, which speaks of him being competent and shrewd, yet at the same time honest and trustworthy because he kept the law. And we're told that he expressed this diligent devotion to Jesus, and as he did, Jesus looks, to him, looks at him and loves him. Now we can say that Jesus loves everybody, but, but clearly there's something special here. Jesus looks at this guy and his genuineness and his, his faithfulness and his, his devotion, and Jesus loves him. What a good guy. What a good heart. He feels warmth to him. He just feels warm. You know that sense when you feel warm towards someone? Oh, just see Jesus going, oh, what a good heart. And yet, there's a problem in this young man's question. Reveals something about the question reveals this big problem. What must I do to inherit eternal life? As though by a degree of self-effort, he could deserve to live forever, to inherit eternal life. And his problem is revealed in even greater clarity if you read the Matthew account of the story in Matthew 19, verse 16 says to us, he says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What he's really saying, what can I do to make myself worthy of living forever? How many people have ever said to you, how's your prayer life? Prayer life all right? 
How's your, how's your reading of Scripture? You do getting enough in? Do you ever get that, you know? Who wants to live forever? Are you, are you, do, are you doing enough? What must I do? We don't do that, do we? We'd never think like that, would we? And yet, I know people who say, but I haven't prayed today. God can't bless me. God can't love me. Rubbish. Not true. Yes, it's good to pray. Yes, it's good to be diligent. Yes, it's good to read our Bible. But God loves you just as much whether you do or you don't. Do you believe that? We don't earn anything from God. We don't earn anything by, by, by being particularly diligent. I, I've prayed hard this week. God will bless me. It's, that's not how it works. That's not grace at all. Oh, please don't mishear me. Press into God. Press into God. He's got loads to teach you, but his love for you, his acceptance of you, is based purely on what Jesus did on the cross, not how well you or I perform. I'm so pleased Throughout my life, I've had times when I've performed really well. Getting up early, praying for an hour, praying for 40 minutes in tongues every morning, in rhyme, out loud. Had seasons of that. Wow. People go, wow. You haven't read about Terry Virgo's history. Up every morning, praising, shouting God. You go, wow. Couldn't keep up with that. I've equally had times when I've hardly prayed at all. As a leader. Yeah, I've prayed, but I've not been diligent. I've not really got down to it. I haven't, you know. The beauty of us preachers is this. We have to get into the Word to prepare a preach. So actually, we get fed anyway, but that can't be where we live, and yet sometimes we do. While we were away on holiday, we read a, a book by a guy called Nick Cuthbert about how to survive church leadership, how to survive and thrive in church leadership. And he just brings all of this out. You see, you think leaders have got it all together. No, we haven't. I assure you we haven't. We get fed up. We neglect prayer. We don't read the Word as we should. We don't do loads of things as we should. We still want to kick the cat. Not the wife, but the cat. Right? We still have all of those feelings and all those emotions and all those frustrations. We still get cross and crotchety and twitchy and all of those things. Well, I do. I'm not putting on anybody else, but I do. Ask the, if you want to know, ask a leader's wife, you'll, you'll find out, right? But I know this. God's love for me is not, not based on how I've performed. There's as much grace for me this week as there was the week before and the week before that. That's where we stand, secure in Christ, sure and sure of our hope within us, because we're born again. And we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, sometimes doing well, sometimes falling over, but never, ever doubting the love and faithfulness of our God. It's great. It's great. We can't make ourselves worthy of God, of living forever. You know, you think, what must, what must I do? I've prayed, I've done all this. Well, I always take people back to the cross. Do you remember the dying thief? He's on the cross. He's been a bad lad all his life, and he's being killed right now. He's being killed, put to death because of his behavior. He's never believed in God. Well, he may believe in God, but he's never been faithful. He's never done anything right. He's dying for his own sin, and he looks at Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you know what Jesus said? Today, 
you will be with me in paradise. That's called grace. That's the gospel. It's called grace. Let's never think we earn anything from God. We don't get especially close to Him. He's here now. We don't get more of Him by effort. Everything we need. God's been, the Spirit of God's poured out. He's not going to be poured out anymore. He's already here. He's poured out. So whether I feel Him or I'm not aware of Him, God is just the same. He never changes. Isn't it good to know when you're having a bad day and you feel a million miles from God? Don't you ever have those days? I do. You know those days when you think, oh, God, does anything exist? And my God, you know know those days when you're just, nothing's changed. He's just as present as ever. That's the truth. That's our confidence. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given once and for all time, poured out on the earth. He's not going to go away. And I just reach my hand out and he's there. However bad I feel, however difficult life is, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The way this young man asked the question shows us we all have a problem, really. We want to find a way to be good enough in God's eyes. But of course, the problem, as I shared last week, is we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, every one of us, and apart from grace, we would still do that. We don't suddenly stop being that person. It's the grace of God now and the cross work in our lives. But the truth of the matter, in my fallen state, I'm a sinner and I'm saved by grace and by grace alone. And it's by grace alone we will enter the kingdom. By grace alone we will enter. By grace alone. What a relief. What a gospel. By the grace of God, stumbling and falling and sometimes getting it wrong. And yet I have a hope that is certain and sure and consistent. And it's not dependent on me. And it's not dependent on you. Isn't that good? That's the gospel. And anybody who puts any legal requirements in apart from that, sucks us into a a degree of performance that is not biblical at all and is not in the heart of God. You see, from the devout, perfect lawkeeper to the vilest, ungodly, undisciplined of society, none of us are good enough. That's the offense of the gospel, isn't it? This young man with all his gifting and devotion was as much a sinner as anyone else. How easily we judge ourselves against others and think, well, I'm not as bad as they are. Did you ever do that? Well, at least I'm not like that. You know, at least I'm not like Sarush. He's better than me anyway. But do you know what I mean? We, we, we measure ourselves against other people and think, oh, isn't that terrible? Look, apart from the grace of God, we're all the same. Apart from the grace of God, we could all do the vilest things. That's the truth. If you want to measure yourself against someone, have a look at Jesus. Have a look at his perfection. Have a look at his purity. Have a look at his, and you go, oh, God, I'm a sinner. And then he says, I know. That's why I died. That's the gospel. It's great. And so we have the old hymn that says, there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only He only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in.
a challenge. So Jesus answers the question in a way that goes right to the heart of this guy's problem. And what is his problem? Self-reliance. You lack one thing. Jesus said, go and sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now, for this young man, this was a step too far. He may have been a lovely guy with a warm heart, but this was a step too far. Probably through discipline and diligence, this young man had done well for himself. He was wealthy. He had great possessions. And so what did he do? He walked away from Jesus. People do, you know. People do hear all the gospel and say, that's a cost I'm not prepared to pay and walk away. And I find it very interesting that Jesus didn't chase after him. Jesus didn't chase after him. This story, you see, isn't just about the young men. Jesus uses this event to teach the disciples and us some very important and uncomfortable truths. As the young man walks away, he turns to the disciples and said, how difficult it will be for those who've got wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are amazed at his words. Does that, does that mean wealthy people can't inherit the kingdom of God? No, it doesn't mean that. Jesus just said it's very hard. And then he goes on to explain how hard. I was going to do an illustration at this point and bring a needle, but then I realized nobody would see it. Have you, have you done any darning lately? Any, who, gentlemen, just guys, how many of you done, used a needle in the last... 10 years. Well, there's a few. Uh, not to stitch up human flesh. No, that's, that's, appreciate doctors, are, that's, that's quite useful. However, the issue is this. Anybody seen a camel lately? We were on holiday in Turkey and they had some camels in the sand dunes. Some people had put them there and you could have a ride. I didn't bother, I don't like heights. And, and I got a photo. And they're big, horrible, hairy things and spit at you. And Nothing about a camel I found very pleasing, ugly. Anyway, Jesus said, it's easier for this, those camels to go through the eye of this needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, apparently, I've been looking into this. Some people think, well, what, did it, what does it mean? And some people said there's a, there's a gate called the, 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 like the eye of the needle gate. That's not true. Uh, and, and some people say, well, uh, actually, it's a mistranslation. And it's, it's actually a, the, the word in, I think it's Aramaic, uh, is, is nearly the same word as rope for camel and rope. And say, well, it's, 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 no, but I think you've got to come back at the end of the day. It's about camels and needles you just got to get there, haven't you? you just, just how you do it. It's about a, a camel and a needle. And, and it's a challenge. It's easier to get that camel through there than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. You know, apparently, the Persian, the Persian, in Persia they had a, a phrase, and it was easier to get an elephant. They were saying, this is impossible. It's easier to get an elephant through the eye of a needle Apparently, is that correct? The, 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 to get, and, and, and the Jews used the word camel. I, I, I don't understand all the language behind it, but you get the point. 
It's virtually impossible. It's just who you got. You have to shred it, the camel, and grind it up and force it through bit by bit. And it, it's just how my mind works. You'd be having camel pie forever. The disciples are totally shocked. They think, God, what do you mean? We, we, and then they say, well, who can be saved then? It's a huge comfort. Jesus looks at them in reply and says, with man it's impossible, but not with God. Come back to grace again. With man it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Ah, oh, what a relief. You'll be thinking about camels and needles for a while now, won't you? You see, as far as I can tell, this isn't actually about wealth. It's about what we're relying on. Money is important. The Bible has much to teach us about handling money, about giving into our local church with 10% of our income being an excellent starting point. The Bible teaches us to be generous and not to hoard wealth. The Apostle Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, encourages cheerful generosity. And in chapter 9 11, he says, You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Hallelujah. So it's not wealth itself that's the problem, it's what it does to us and what we do with it. Once we have it, it very quickly becomes our security rather than God. We rely on our savings, on our nest egg, if we, haven't, if we have one. And if we haven't got one, we start to pursue money and possessions because that's the way we'll be secure. And don't tell me that's not true, because we live in a whole society, the whole, whole, whole of Western society is about the acquisition and hoarding of wealth that we can be secure. So where do we put our confidence? In wealth or in God? Using wealth to bless, to provide for others, to care for the poor, etc., is very much encouraged by Jesus. And we can store up treasure in heaven by using the wealth we have to bless and provide. There's a principle about wealth. Give it away. Don't lend it. Give it away and give it away, and as you bless others, God will give you more. That's the kingdom principle. The world's principle is get wealth and keep it, and get the best interest you can, and get the best return on your investment, but keep it. The kingdom view is give it, give it, give it, and watch God provide more. But you know, this issue of money is a private thing between us and God. What, what Sarush does with his millions? <laughs> is, is not my business. This is serious. It's not my business. Who has lots of money and who hasn't lots of money is not my business. It's between us and God how we handle things. It's very private, very personal. And it's a huge challenge. 
And the thing we need to avoid above all is pretense, pretending we're generous, pretending we're giving everything. Do you remember the widow in the temple? And Jesus, sure, she put in our little coin, which was everything she had to live on, and Jesus commended that above all the wealth that people give out of their abundance. Now, that's not a word that I'm saying you should all give everything you have. All I'm saying is this. There was no pretense in our heart, just a genuine worship of God. Want to talk about worship? Lots to do with money. You're a worshiper. I don't mean you're a singer of songs. If you're a worshiper, it's what you do with what you have. What you do with what God has given you. Oh, how we need God's grace to handle money well. Don't we? In the early church, I'm going to do this. In the early church, there were a couple called Ananias and Sapphira who got it very wrong. And we're going to, I'm going to read about it. It's Acts 5, 1 to 11. But I'm actually going to read from Acts 4, 32 through to Acts 5, 11. And we don't preach about this often. This isn't one of these sermons. It's the sort of thing we're going to, I think we should do Acts and give it to Raj to do next time. This particular passage or Simon, or anybody but me. <laughs> but let's do it. This is, this is revival. This is the early church. Wow, who wants to be here? Let's read it. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who'd owned lands or houses sold them, brought money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to men, but to God." When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried, out, carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen. The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down and died, at his feet and died. And then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And guess what? Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Wow. 
It wasn't that they only gave part of the money. It's that they were pretending they'd given all the money they'd got from the sale of the land. Why is that in Scripture? Don't you think that's, you know, we talk about revival. We want to be like the early church. We want to be like it is in Acts. Really? The thought of having to get three young men to carry somebody out and bury them on a Sunday morning never quite appeals. More because we'll have terrible problem with the authorities. Can you imagine? How would that go down in the press? I often think that. I think, well, but this is very serious. This isn't just a story. This happened in the early church. Why is that? Because the issue of money and, and how we handle money and possessions is absolutely crucial and pivotal to our worship, to the way we live. You know when uh, Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but those who, who, who obey. And then it says, they will say, but Lord, we prophesied, we did this, we did that. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. To follow Jesus is to make the right decisions. For this young man to follow Jesus meant giving up all his wealth and possessions and following him. It means different things for different people. You see, we might think we're not rich. And at the end of the meeting, I'm going to pray that God will break the hold of money and possessions over us. You think, well, I haven't got any. I understand that. But tell that to a child living on a rubbish, rubbish tip in Brazil, tip in Brazil or, or other parts of the world. We are rich. Compared to so much of the world, we're all very rich. Even on benefits, we're very rich. You see, the issue is not how wealthy we are, but how much we're held captive by what we have. The question is, what are we relying on? God and his provision, or what we have? It's a huge issue, and I'm not judging anyone, because I battle with it too. It's just as I was preparing this, I felt a nudge from God to, pr to pray over us at the end that he would break the power that wealth and possessions have over us. In Philippians 4, 9, 19, the Apostle Paul tells us, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches, uh, his, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? Or do we hedge our bets? Um, you know, we, we can say, I'm believing God for this. But if he doesn't come through, I do have a credit card. And don't tell me you haven't thought like that, because I have. I'm believing God for this. But if he can't deliver it, I'll do it myself one way or another. I'll get a loan. These are complex issues. We have to walk through them transparently and opening, op openly with God. My final point is this, a promise. Peter begins to talk to Jesus about these things, and he said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Do you remember when Jesus asked them to follow him? They, they were fishermen, and what did they do? They left their nets and followed Jesus immediately. They didn't hang about. They said, yes, Lord, we will follow you, and literally left everything behind. There is always a cost to following Jesus. For the rich young man, it was a cost that he wasn't willing to pay.
But Peter makes this amazing promise. Uh, Jesus makes this amazing promise to Peter. He says, and to the disciples, he makes a promise to us as well. We would do well to digest it and live in the good of it. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this life, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Is this a promise that we can rely on? Oh, yes. A thousand times, yes. I'm so grateful to God for the background of faith and trust that Jean and I learned from our parents. As I grew up, we never had any money. Didn't get pocket money. We never had a TV until I was about 12 or 13, and then it was rented, and it was black and white. Just so, can you imagine? Anyway, young people, life with black and white tellies or no telly. Mobile phones didn't exist. Neither did video record. You could just go on. Showing my age now. I, I can remember well wearing second-hand clothes that were bought at jumble sales. My parents tell me of a number of occasions when they, they had no money and had run out of food and then found that someone had left a box of food on their doorstep. And my parents were, they tell me the story when they'd just set off as Salvation Army officers and they were in Manchester and the going was really tough and they were desperate and they wanted to give up and they prayed together and my mom said, God does not make fools of us. We will trust him. And they did. They were serving the Lord, my mom and dad, the Salvation Army officers, right through till they retired. They're still going today at 92. It was very tough at times. But God always provided what we needed. And it was a really happy childhood. And you know what? For my mom and dad now at 92, God's still providing for them. And you know what? They're better off now than they've ever been. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? In their retirement now at 92, they've actually got, it might be 15,000 pounds, but for them that's better than they've ever had. And it allows them to be generous and give it away. Does that scripture true? Yes. You can't lose out. There's promises that go with following Jesus. He promises to provide. He promises to give. It's risky, but his promises are reliable. And then, throughout our married life, Jean and I have always found God to... God, as God has led us and provided for us, he, he's just provided all the way, really. We learned early on about giving to God on a regular basis what belongs to him as we gave into the local church. We've moved home a number of times as the Lord has led in different ways, in different places, even living here in Teesside. Wow. It's been adventure after adventure after adventure. And, and you know what? I have to say, God's always provided for us. There's times when it's been really tough. Probably moving here was one of the toughest things we've ever done. I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm just telling you it's grim. All right? And it's still tough. 
and is still challenging at times what we've learned and I've learned and we've learned together and still believe with all our heart that if we keep following him wherever he leads, he will always provide. And you know what? The end is not yet for us. I'm 65 next Saturday. Retirement, potentially. But there's no retirement in the kingdom. I said to Jean a little while ago, do you feel there's another adventure in us? And she said, perish the thought. (laughs) And I must admit, I've been thinking, oh, God, I feel worn out. I thought of doing some more. But there is, don't know what it is, don't know what it looks like, don't know what it means. But one thing I know, we're not just sit back and sit around waiting to go to glory. God will provide, God will lead, we will say yes. That's the Christian life. He says to the rich young man, go and sell all you have, give it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, follow me. He couldn't have lost out, but he did. And it's a time after time challenge. You just get settled. In Milton Keynes, we were settled. We were renting a house, and Maggie Thatcher said, it's time to convert your house, your, your thing to a mortgage. Oh, okay, then. We, we owned 60% of it. Great. And then I got asked to go to Bedford, 20 miles away. And people were saying, you must be mad. You're selling, giving up your home. We never thought what God said, we'll do it. And we sold a house and finished up with 5,000 pounds. We, we, that wasn't enough. We had to buy a house in Bedford. And we didn't know what to do. And the church in Bedford, unknown to us, gave us 15,000 pounds. Blown away. We totally were. God provided. God opened the door. We got the right house. I remember we, we seen the house we liked after trying lots of others. And I, I remember looking at that and said, God, we, we wanted. And then I, I got the phone call saying, no, somebody else has bought it. And I remember laying hands on this piece of paper with a picture and saying, God, I want that house. I want that house. And I phoned up. And God gave us the house. He provides for us. It's always, you know, all the way through. And then we'd been there 17 years, and then God turfed us out and sent us up here. <laughs> we thought, people thought, you must be mad. But you see, God said, go. Jesus said, will you follow me there? Will you follow me here? That's the nature of the Christian life. Are you up to following Jesus? Can we be a people who will follow Jesus? See, it's not just about being a church. We all get together and go, whoopie-doo, that's fine. But you know what? And I'm not decrying that. All I'm saying is, It's personally, individually, are we people who say yes to God? Not yes to God because it's easy, but yes to God, whatever the cost, whatever it means. And I can't tell you what God's saying to you. You have to hear it for yourself. You see, money is just a tool to serve God with and bless others. It's never worth relying on. And it will hinder our walk with God if we do that. I'm going to finish by reading uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 33, which basically sums up everything I've said. So I probably should have read it at the beginning and shut up. But let let me read this, and then I'll pray over you. This is Jesus speaking. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The eye is the lamp for the, of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great will be that darkness? And how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Ouch. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor, give, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray together, shall we? Just take a moment, if you, if you know in your own heart that the issue of money and possessions is just a, this is not about having money. Some people are, God gives us gifts to have money, to be a person who is made rich, very rich, to use it for God's glory. It's because you know it, it's become your place of security rather than God. If you know in your heart that you're looking for the, that to be the answer, just confess it to him now. Lord, I thank you that you promise to meet our every need according to your riches in glory. Thank you, Lord, that, that we don't have to go to borrow, we don't have to go to the bank, we don't have to try this and try that, but our confidence is in you. Lord, where this world system is holding us captive, where this whole demonic stronghold of finance is holding us captive individually or as a people, Lord, would you break that off us, I pray. Would you set us free from it? Would you, help, would you quicken our faith in terms of trusting you? Would you teach us to handle money and possessions lightly and generously for your glory? Lord, we're not here to point the finger or to judge or, or anything like that. We, just, we want to live for your glory. We want to be able to say, yes, Lord, we will follow you, whatever it means and wherever we go. We just ask you to do a work in us right now, I pray. Right now. I just rebuke the lies of this world system, the lies of the enemy that says you've got to have a lot. We are rich because we're in Christ. We have everything we need in Christ. Lord, I pray this truth will burn deep into our hearts and remain 
our viewpoint and our stance throughout our lives, that we may be flexible and ready to move and ready to say yes, whatever it means. Because we want you to be glorified. We want our lives to be, to be, we want you to be exalted in and through our lives. So we want to be a people, we want Jubilee to be generous, to be a people who bless and bless and bless. Because that's what you call your church to do. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your leading. We thank you for the truth. We bless you. May you be exalted in each life, in each home, each family, as we walk through these things together. And thank you, Lord, there's no, it's not about performance because it's all by grace. Give us grace to live right that you may be exalted in, our, in us and through us. We bless you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please stand.